I don't know if there's any Discovery Channel fans with us today. Uh, Every summer, you know what's coming up then. Every summer Discovery Channel runs a week-long special on sharks. Shark week. Shark week. So I don't know if you're into flesh-eating fish or not, and uh, maybe you've wondered, well, what do pastors do with their time? Well, this week, it included researching how different sharks breathe. There are over 400 species of sharks, and a lot of them have been around a long time. There's a few different types. Uh, the oldest species breathes uh, using the gill muscles around their mouths to force air through their gills. Uh, other species have respiratory openings behind their eyes. These are the sharks that kind of bury themselves in the sand, and it makes a real good TV moment when they pop out and, and catch their prey. Uh, but newer species of sharks, around two dozen of the 400 types of sharks are called obligate ram breathers. So if you're looking for a fantasy football team name this fall, I might suggest obligate ram breathers. So these sharks have to swim forward, forcing the water over their gills. Now you've heard of these before, you just don't know it. The most famous shark, the great white shark, they're obligate ram breathers. Scientists are still fascinated how the sharks survive because they have to keep swimming in order to breathe. They have to keep moving in order to force water over their gills. If these sharks stop moving, they'll die. And I wonder how many of us have been living life the same way. Whenever anyone asks how life has been going, a standard answer, oh, it's been crazy. So busy. Now, maybe during some of the quarantine time, that that might not have been true. You might have been loving some more stuff to do. How's life been going? I just binge watched eight seasons of, you know, whatever. I I got spare time. Uh, But I don't know if you've experienced this as things are starting to return to normal a little bit. You know, I'm starting to check some boxes like, oh my gosh, I I ate at Gino's the other day with with like the whole staff of the firehouse. That's the most non-family members I've eaten with. This is amazing, right? And yet as extroverted as, as I tend to be, I'm a little pooped afterwards. I gotta build up my endurance again. So if, if, if you've been a worn out extrovert, it's, you're not alone, you're not alone. But I don't know if you've experienced that your social calendar may be beginning to return a little bit, which is great. But it also, this, this, I hope these messages come at a great time. So more and more, especially as we return to whatever normal is gonna be, more and more we live like obligate rain breathing sharks. We don't stop moving. 24-7, nonstop, that is our culture and lifestyle in America. We have remote access to our work email, which we check during off hours, on weekends or evenings, even on vacation. We are so connected to our devices, it's affecting our brains and how we sleep. The blue light emitted from our computers, tablets, and phones, it sends signals to our brain that says, hey, be alert, it's still daytime. Apple responded to our always-on culture by creating the night shift feature. I don't know if you've seen this. This is from a recent Apple presentation. Many studies have shown that exposure to bright blue light in the evening can affect your circadian rhythms and make it harder to fall asleep. Night shift uses your iOS's device's clock and geolocation to determine when it's sunset in your location. Then it automatically shifts the colors in your display to the warmer end of the spectrum, making it easier on your eyes. In the morning, it returns to the display in its regular settings. Pleasant dreams. Thanks, Apple. Part of the problem and the solution. Look at that. I believe it was Miley Cyrus who said, we can't stop, we won't stop. 
I read an NPR article this week that said worldwide, this is according to the World Health Organization, overwork killed 745,000 people in a year. When you consistently work more than 40 hours, 50, 60, 70, your chances of heart disease and stroke skyrocket. There was a group that formed a research organization called Project Time Off. In their research, they found that in 2015 alone, American employees forfeited 222 million vacation days. According to the research, 55% of employees in the U.S. leave paid vacation days unused. This is so symptomatic of our toxic approach to work. By refusing to stop and take time away, now somebody correct me if I'm wrong, has anyone received a medal for not taking all their vacation days? Did you get a trophy, a ribbon, a watch? No, nobody gives us a medal for doing this. We don't get a medal, we get less productive and we get burnt out. So here are the top two barriers that, that the uh, respondents cited as their reasons for not taking time off. Returning to a mountain of work, right? You don't want to deal with everything you missed while you were gone, so it's easier just to not be gone. And 30% said no one else can do the job. We think we're indispensable. Now, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be viewed as a hard worker, but our reasons for not taking time off are not as noble as that. We don't want to do the hard work of planning and delegating before we go away, and, when we, and, and then when we get back, we don't want to deal with everything. And then we're so vain, we don't think anybody else can do it. Now, I want to practice what I preach, which is ironically, I say that as preaching, but work with me. You know, for me, like, I've been here, Pastor Sherry, Pastor Mitch, do a great job preaching. I've still shown up, and some of that's because I spent too many months not seeing nobody, so I'm going to get every chance I can, especially when I could see your faces so, that I, so I'm with you in the struggle of trying to do this. So whether you're part-time, full-time, looking for employment, maybe your work's at home, maybe you're a student, maybe you're retired. We got all kinds in our church today. I think this message is for all of us. Stopping work takes work. It's one of my goals that, that periodically, as a part of worship, we would have series on spiritual disciplines, these these means of grace is what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, would call it. These ways that, that we can build our relationship with God, tools to help us grow spiritually. So for two weeks, we're going to be focusing on the spiritual discipline of Sabbath, of Sabbath. What does it look like for us to be ceasing to allow the always moving, always on culture to control our lives? The Bible has so much to say about the nature and purpose of work and rest. It's so close to the heart of God that God made this one of the original 10 laws that he gave to the people of Israel as they were forming into a nation. We read this in Exodus chapter 20, verses eight through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock. The, the, the cows, the ox gets a break or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is known as the fourth commandment. Interestingly, eight of the 10 commandments begin with either you shall or you shall not. This commandment is unique in that it begins with remember. 
Remember, it's been called the commandment that connects the 10 commandments together. The first three commandments deal with God and the next six deal with our neighbor. And in the middle is this command to remember. God wants the people of Israel to remember, to call to mind the creation story where God worked for six days but rested on the seventh day. God commands them to imitate this, this creation story, that they would have an example that even God set, a, set the precedent for of a Sabbath day. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means cease, to cease. In the Jewish tradition, it became a 24-hour period from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday, where people ceased from work. Starting from God's fourth commandment and then into the time of Jesus, and for many, many practicing Jews today, Sabbath is a central facet of life that everything else revolves around. It's also important for, under, for us to understand the context that God was delivering this commandment to the Israelites in. God's opening statement in Exodus chapter 20 is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God wants them to remember how far they've come. Don't forget. It's part of what we're doing this weekend. Part of remembering the Sabbath day is remembering the tyranny of Pharaoh who enslaved the Hebrew people in Egypt. Earlier in Exodus 5, we read just a, one small example of the cruelty of Pharaoh and his unrelenting schedule of production. This is from Exodus 5. Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. <laughs> Pharaoh wants the Hebrews to do as much work with less supplies. Right? His approach is, well, if they have time to worship, to offer sacrifices to their God, to listen to deceptive words, if they've got time to do all that, then they've got time to get their own straw. Right? If they've got time to organize any sort of resistance, that meant they had more time to work. So for Pharaoh, it was always about more. More bricks for more storehouses, for more surplus of crops, and more sacrifices to the gods of Egypt. More, more, more. This is in part what God wanted the Hebrew people to remember, how God brought them out of slavery of Egypt. And so when God commands the, the people of Israel to have a Sabbath, He's speaking to people that have not had a day off in 400 years. This is significant. This would have been a major adjustment. Confession. I get annoyed that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. <laughs> I work on Sundays. Not a big deal. Why can't they? And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. I won't reveal to you what percentage I'm kidding, but how terrible is that? How terrible is that? Right? So actually, good for Chick-fil-A for setting boundaries for their employees. At first glance, it might seem that other places take a different approach. Because my other favorite place that never disappoints me by being closed is QT. When we first moved to Carney, I heard there was a quick trip. I'm like, I'm good. Don't know nothing about the church. I'm good. We got a QT. We're going to make it. I don't know anybody who hasn't seen the well-lit, well-maintained, 
uh, well-stocked gas station as a beacon in the night off the side of a highway. They're open 24-7. Next time you go to the quick trip, maybe you go today. You forgot some hot dog buns? Look at the doors. Like, it's hard to even tell if they lock. Have you ever noticed that? Quick trip virtually never closes. QT has a much different model than than Chick-fil-A. And yet, there's a twist. I had a really close friend who worked at QT for a long time. And uh, one of the jobs, one of the positions he held there was VR. That's not virtual reality. That stands for vacation replacement. Have you all heard of that? His entire job was to go around to different stores and fill in for the people that were on vacation. In other words, Quick Trip staffs more people than they need in order to give their folks enough staff to be able to take off. So even though Quick Trip never stops being open, they don't expect their employees to never stop working. When I find out a place I want to go is closed, it's just my instinct to be incredulous. I don't know if you felt that way. Stopping work is a form of resistance in our 24-7 culture. The expectation of our culture is going to be the same as Pharaoh, more. More production, more accessibility to you, more time in the evenings, more time on the weekends, more energy, more dedication, more, more, more. Stopping work is going to take a lot of work, friends, even when your work is vitally important. Because in the New Testament, there's nobody's work who is more important than Jesus. And yet we see that God's call to cease, to stop, didn't expire when Jesus came on the scene. In the book of Mark, this is one of the biographies of Jesus' life. Jesus had sent out his 12 followers, sent them out to do work. And so they went out and proclaimed all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is amazing ministry taking place by the disciples. And I just, I just got to be real honest here. Like if I come, I'm, I can do these things now. It's, 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 it's like I'm a pastor. But if I can go to the hospital and pray with you, if you get cured, I am retiring. <laughs> like I'm out. That's it. Like, well, how, can I, how can we do better than that? If we pray and you got something wrong with your leg and you're walking around, I'm done. This is the amazing type of work the disciples are doing. And the disciples report back to Jesus all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Jesus had the opposite approach of Pharaoh. When the disciples come back and tell people and tell Jesus how they've cured people and, and, and drove out demons, Jesus wasn't like, all right, boys, get back out there and let's get 20 more percent this quarter. No, Jesus said, we need to stop and rest. Something I hope you hear often is a great rule of thumb. And that's if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. There were still plenty of people who needed to hear this good news. There were still plenty of crowds following Jesus and the disciples around. There were still people who were sick and desperately needed to be cured. But in order for Jesus and his disciples' important work to continue, they needed to rest. They needed to cease. I know we all think our work is important and we have lots to do. Your work is important and I know we all have lots to do. But surely... Our work is not important, or, or our work is not as important as the work of Jesus. 
Certainly not more important. And, and I don't know who had anybody who had more to do in less time than Jesus did. So I think this is a good dose of humility for us to hear. Do you remember the top two reasons people don't take off from work? I don't want to deal with everything when I get back. In other words, I'm too lazy to delegate it or to plan ahead. And I don't think anybody else can do it. I'm so vain, I think I'm the only one that can do it. Part of ceasing and stopping for Sabbath means getting over our laziness and to stop being so vain. Stopping takes work. Most of the time, it's more convenient just to do things yourself as they come up than preparing someone else to to do them in your place or trying to work ahead. But friends, we get in a rut. It's like if we ever stop, then it's, it's, we're like those sharks that have to just keep going. But what we don't realize is that our pace can actually be counterproductive, that, that it's possible that we could be working harder and harder but getting diminishing returns on our work. That's the worst, right? When you're still working hard, but production is slipping. If we follow Pharaoh's production schedule over God's, it isn't just our work that suffers but our soul. Jesus said this, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? So what I am trying to prescribe for us, or I'm not trying, I'm just trying to have us remember what God prescribes for us, is a 24-hour period where you cease to work. I know that's not easy. It's a process, and it's going to take a lot of work to stop working. To start that, I'd encourage you to schedule times in your calendar to unplug. So this is a struggle for me. If I'm home physically with my family, but I'm answering a work email or a text, I'm with them physically, but I'm not present. Right? I'm sure there are other options like this, but man, Apple, again, saving the day. There's features on our devices that we can turn on, do not disturb, that can eliminate incoming calls or texts altogether or allow calls, you can even set it to where only these people, that only their calls will come through. A great way to start ceasing is to unplug and take a break from your device. And again, this is true whether we're a student, whether we're in the workforce, whether at home, whether we're retired. I got some buddies that are almost busier now that they're retired than before they were. Trying not to make intense eye contact with them currently. (laughs) And they got annoying pastors being like, I need you to be on the leadership team, right? Friends, isn't it good news that even Jesus lived a life and modeled Sabbath? Isn't it good news that he calls us to cease? Let's step away. We haven't even had time to eat. Let's go be by ourselves for a bit. When we cease, when we choose to observe the spiritual discipline of Sabbath, it's an exercise in humility. Ceasing is an admission that even though we have stopped Somehow the world will keep turning. It's an exercise in humility. Another way to begin ceasing, not just unplugging from your device, is to withdraw physically. Now we'll get into this more next week. This is kind of the introductory session on Sabbath today. But one thing I want to encourage you with is Sabbath doesn't mean you're just sitting around bored. Sabbath doesn't, like for somebody like me, like solitude, silence, Now, there's a time for that, and that's another subject for another day, but solitude does not fill this soul. So Sabbath doesn't mean you have to make yourself bored for God's sake. 
Sabbath means doing things that restore you and renew you. Again, we'll talk about that next week. But is there a physical place you can go that gives you peace? Is there a place where you can withdraw physically and be inaccessible? A pastor and mentor of mine called these thin places. A place where the line between heaven and earth just seems a little thinner. And we know God doesn't live at your favorite church camp or or in a building, but it can seem like that sometimes. Withdrawing to a thin place helps us to disconnect from work. I'm part of a pastor's cohort called Advancing Pastoral Leadership, and uh, it's based in Texas. So four weeks a year, I go to an Anglican church camp. Sounds like a blast, doesn't it? Uh, I go to an Anglican church camp in rural Texas, Navasota, Texas. And that's become, Camp Allen is the name of it. It's become a very special place for me, not only because of the time spent there, but the people I'm with when I'm there. So I don't know what that equivalent might be for you. I have a feeling this summer it's going to be the splash pad for me and my kids, but <laughs> where, where's a place where you can go and be to what you can withdraw to and be inaccessible to cease? I also wanted to invite you into a conversation I'm going to have on Tuesday night. Um, my friend, she's a pastor uh, in, in North Kansas City. Her name's Mary. And she's going to be on a live stream with me at seven. She is like an amazing practitioner of Sabbath. And she's got all sorts, she's got two kids and all sorts of stuff going on, despite being in grad school and all sorts of things. Uh, She still made this a priority. So I'm going to invite all of us to learn from her on Tuesday night at seven. That'll be on our Facebook page and I'll, I'll send out the video in our newsletter. So friends, this week... Let's remember God's call to Sabbath. Let's obey the voice of Jesus over and above the voice of Pharaoh in our culture. Let's do the hard work of stopping work. Let's remember the Sabbath and rediscover that God is God and we are not. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of being together in your presence of hearing your ancient words. God, I, I, I don't know if I can make a long list of things that are thousands of years old and yet still resonate in the same way as they, as they did when they were first uttered and first written. God, we confess to you that too often we are lazy and we are vain, that we don't want to do the hard work of remembering the Sabbath And we put ourselves and our schedules and our busyness over and above your call to stop and cease. God, we have have made our work, we have made uh, our busyness an idol. God, in the midst of that, we lift up to you all the pressures that force us into overwork We lift up to you our worries about our finances or uh, our family's livelihood. Whatever it is we brought in with us today, we give over to you in this time. God, we thank you that uh, the call of your son to us was to come all who are weary and heavy laden and that you promised you would give us rest. Help us to leave this place rejuvenated by your spirit, 
and help us over uh, this, Saturday, this Sunday and Monday to do some reflection and some remembering. The type of reflection and, and, and remembering that can only take place when we stop. God, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.